Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast on another beautiful day that the Lord has made. So excited to share this conversation with you with Jacob Woods all the way from Kansas. And he's a young man that uh, shares his journey of faith from atheism to Protestantism and now into the fullness of the Catholic Church. He's got a great YouTube channel called The Candid Catholic and we're going to talk about this journey. And if you have a young person that's discerning life's next steps, it's got to include Jesus Christ at the center of their lives. And Jacob is just providing a great example of uh, how to go on the journey, how to live a sacramental life, and how the early church fathers really influenced his decision. And uh, now he's on the road to eternal life with us. And uh, it's a great uh, conversion story. And I'm really excited to share it with you. On the last episode, we talked about St. Vincent Ferrer and we talked about his life and his evangelization example with uh, Dr. Robert Haddad, all the way from Australia. So uh, again, I just love the universality of our faith. I've shared these conversations with you with so many people from all over the world. And we're all singing from the same hymn book and uh, we need each other on this journey. So I found this little quote from St. Vincent Ferrer and I thought it was fitting for today. He says, quote, if you truly want to help the soul of your neighbor, you should approach God first with all your heart. End quote. That was from St. Vincent Ferrer. The angel of the apocalypse is what they call them in the day. And one of, uh, I, I venture to say that he is one of our greatest saints that's really been forgotten by a lot of people. But I encourage you to look into his life and the amazing things he did. Uh, over 50,000 miracles associated with his life. And uh, people said at the time it was a miracle when he didn't perform a miracle uh, that God gave him the grace and the power to uh, to do those things in the name of Jesus Christ and um, just a great life. So I encourage you to double back and listen to that as well. In these times, which are getting well more bizarre and crazy as we kind of keep going through these weeks, uh, journeying together becomes so much more important and an example of holiness. And I just encourage everyone, especially as we round into the new year of 2022, and there's going to be some surprises and probably some unpleasant surprises coming towards us. We need to stay in a state of grace and we need to read about the, the lives of saints. And I'm finding so much encouragement in their lives. I brought up St. Vincent Ferrer, but there are so many other ones. So I encourage you to do the same thing. And uh, make that your resolution to grow in holiness and uh, make this next year coming up and every year, make it better each year, make it the best year of your life and just keep on building towards the kingdom. So without further ado, we got Jacob Woods coming around the corner. You're really going to love this conversation. And uh, he's so candid about his faith. And that's why he's got a YouTube channel called The Candid Catholic. So we'll tell you a little bit more about that and his journey. And uh, here it is, everyone. We'll see you on the other side, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. It's a great blessing to catch up with this gentleman uh, to tell us a little bit about his journey from atheism and to reformed evangelical and now home to the Catholic Church. He's also running a YouTube channel called The Candid Catholic with a particular focus on the early church fathers and where he encourages the faithful to dive deeper into their faith. Welcome to our brother in Christ, Jacob Woods, and welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast, my friend. Thanks, David, for having me. Well, it's great to, uh, to track you down and catch up with you and, and hear a little bit about your story to the uh, this journey, this great journey that you've been on to the Catholic Church. And uh, we talked a little bit of offline about being a sports fan, but uh, one thing we didn't talk about was hockey. Uh, are you a hockey fan at all? You grew up around Kansas City, around that area, right? So not not a ton of uh, 
of hockey around your area, but is that something, have you ever been on skates before at all? I know I have not. Um, I really don't have much of a hockey background. Uh, when I was younger, we used to have like a semi-pro team, I think, or it was a minor league team called the, the Blades here. And I would actually, I would go to a couple of their, their games and um, it was entertaining, but I had no idea what was going on. So I hate to say I don't have much of a, uh, a hockey background nor knowledge, well, but it is entertaining to watch. <laughs> this weird world ever turns around. Jacob, you ever come up to Canada? We'll have to give you some skating lessons and get a stick in your hand and send pictures back to your family and friends. And <laughs> Sounds good. We'll send you back with some Canadian bacon and some syrup or something too. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I think back in the day, the NHL used to have a team in Kansas City, and now I should probably know this because I'm a hockey fan. I think they're called the Kansas City Scouts, I believe. And I believe okay. they're, the, they're the like the modern day New Jersey Devils. God bless those New Jersey uh-huh. Devils, but yeah, I think that's eventually they ended up in New Jersey. So, but no, either way, like I said, we love to 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 uh, always ask our American guests if they they like hockey. That's a good connection with us folks up here in Canada because we do like the game quite a bit. So. But I uh, want to talk to you about this, uh, this great journey that you've been on to the church. And uh, it's, it's been an exciting journey and you've, you've recently uh, entered into the church. And uh, so, yeah, it's just such a great story. So I'm really glad that you took some time to join us. So let's kind of go back to when you, when you were in your youth, when you were a child. Uh, was there uh, some seeds of faith that were planted at a young age? Or could you kind of explain your, your childhood a little bit to us? Yeah, so... My, my childhood, um, growing up, loved both my parents, but I was kind of raised in a, in a broken home uh, between both of my parents. Um, they had each gone through three divorces each, and I never really had a Christian upbringing. I mean, I knew who Jesus was, but I did have a good witness in my in my grandparents. So my grandma was a cradle Catholic. I still say to this day that she's the most holy person I've ever been around. Um, and then my grandpa came into the church uh, when he married my grandma. And I, so I, I did go to mass maybe a few times, uh, not very many times at all. I didn't know what was going on. I remember going to midnight mass and as soon as I hit the pew, I just go to sleep. <laughs> and so I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really wasn't tuned in, but I, I always was really close with my grandma and both my grandparents and, and just observed her life and her joy. And so that definitely had an impact on me. Um, uh, growing up, um, I, my, my identity was really in sports. So I played basketball, baseball, football, played a little bit of tennis, but really uh, those three, those first three. And it, by the time I was uh, 18, like I, I had, um, I played sports all through high school. I had actually gotten a scholarship to play at a junior college uh, in baseball. And by the time I was 18, I had started really, really questioning, uh, the existence of God. 
Now, during my childhood, I, 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 I was baptized when I was a baby in the Catholic church, but I never really had like a faith. Um, but when I turned 18, I remember I had a moment in my room and I still remember it to this day. And I had a thought go through my mind and, and it was, if God doesn't exist, then I can live however I want to live. Because if there is no God, there's really no ultimate point of reference for morality. And it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says, you know, in Romans 1 and 2, that people suppress the truth. And I remember I suppressed the truth. Uh, I had believed in, in morality and doing the right thing, although I wasn't that great at doing it. But um, I believed it. But I started questioning the existence of God. And then, like, I remember when I was in, in the room at that time, like, I went into the kitchen, just grabbed a beer and just started drinking. And my mom and my former stepdad were in the house. And I'm just like, I don't I don't care. I'm going to start drinking. Like, I'm going to do what I want. Um, I'm pretty much out of the house anyway. And at the time or at pretty much at that time, I had made up my mind I was an atheist and the number one catalyst of that was the classic question of if there is a God who's all good and all powerful then why does evil exist right this is the classic question everybody asked you're explaining relativism really in a nutshell here right I mean that's kind of where where you, you had arrived and then uh, that atheistic, that thought, I guess that one thought that kind of came into your head that was probably percolating for a long time and it started to manifest itself with how you lived your life. But I was just going to ask you about, you mentioned the divorces in your family. Uh, the divorce culture catches up with a lot of people now. I mean, we don't know anybody probably in our family or friends or circle of, of either that haven't been impacted in some sort of way. Some sort of way. Was there... Um, did, was there some um, some influence in that, some negative influence in, in just having, uh, you know, maybe that family unit wasn't quite as as sturdy and, and had the foundations of maybe what a, a Christian marriage would look like? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. So looking back at the time, I didn't really, really think about it. But looking back, it definitely had a... A negative impact on me because it just destroyed my trust right like I became cynical and bitter against my parents first and foremost and then I started becoming bitter and cynical and, and not trusting other people as well and then that just kind of extended to God um, because yeah it, it went back to the same question you know, when you, when you go through your childhood and you go through six divorces, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to play, it's, it's going to take a toll. And if you don't have any type of uh, catechesis or formation growing up in any type of uh, Christian perspective and dealing with uh, suffering and how we can use suffering to be something that's redemptive, then you're going to go down a path of, or at least I did down a path of, you know, atheism or secularism, agnosticism, et cetera. 
Yeah, I wanted to just bring that point up, Jacob, because I just I think that that's where most people end up. You have that kind of that that brokenness to start your life, and just so you know, my mom and dad, my dad has passed away, God rest his soul, already, but uh, they were married for over fifty years. And when I was a kid, like I never even like I'd I'd see them have disagreements here and there, but I never in a million years would have ever thought that they'd ever leave each other. So as I was growing up and as I got into even my my early teen years, and uh, ironically you mentioned baseball, my baseball team, a couple of the kids, uh, especially one in particular, told me that his parents had divorced, and I was I was mortified, like I was shocked. I felt so bad for him. I don't even know how to even explain it. I wasn't thinking about myself or my own parents. So that, that's never going to happen. But, you know, in my mind, which was, you know, it was a blessing that I grew up in an environment like that. But I remember uh, it really affecting me. I, was like, I just couldn't believe he was going to be living apart from his mom and dad together. That was a, a real scary thought for me. So it makes you just, you know, realize that it, it does matter to children, whether they know it at the time or not. But eventually, you know, it comes up maybe in their adult years that, uh, those formative years of, of seeing a marriage and the way God looks at marriage, right. As that, uh, that family unit and the, uh, you know, the, how it, um, it mirrors the, the bride of Christ being the Catholic church itself and how Jesus is the, is the groom. Right. So, um, no, I appreciate you, you sharing that. So 18 years old, you're, uh, on a baseball scholarship, uh, kind of on your way out of the house. So what, what happens next? So during this time, uh, forgot to mention, I had been in a relationship with a girl. Um, and so I leave, I leave home, go off to, to college. And I noticed, so my senior year in high school, I started partying a lot. Um, I, throughout high school, I, I didn't really party much, but like 18 years old, I, I really went downhill. Um, I started drinking a lot. Um, smoking, etc. And then so I go off to college and this just keeps following me. Um, I'm having success on the field. Um, but I'm finding that I'm partying more and more and I am doing, you know, more drugs, but at the same time, like I'm functional. And so I didn't really think of it. It was just something that was part of the culture and I didn't have anybody around me to, to speak into that or lead me. And so I went off to college for um, a couple years. And then after that, I, I didn't have, so I went to a JUCO for two years and I didn't have the grades to go to a four year. I had offers uh, several offers from four-year division two schools and some division ones were looking, but didn't even have any work close to the grade. So they just kind of stopped talking to me. And so after that, I took a year, like a year off and I came back home and I was taking like summer classes and trying to get my grades up. So I do that for a year. Um, and I still have this girlfriend and we're just kind of, in this place of living our relationships based on sexual immorality, really. Um, and so <clears throat> I do get my grades up enough and I go out to a division two school in Tennessee and I go for a tryout. And so I try out, it's like a two hour long tryout. I've got a buddy out there. Um, 
And they bring me after the trial, they bring me into the office. They offer me a full ride scholarship. Um, and I know like this, I had no business being at this school because they were a private school, but somehow I got in. <laughs> so I went back home after my tryout, got all my stuff and then came back like the next semester, moved in, was settled and basically stayed there for about a month and left. And at the time I was, it was, I was about 20 at that time. And during that time, the drinking had gotten uh, about as bad as it had been. Um, I was going to the bar with friends uh, that I played baseball with like pretty much every night when I was there playing baseball at the same time. So anyway, I come back home and I'm at this point where I'm just lost. You know, I lose my identity in baseball and all sports for that matter. I've lost my relationship with this girl. And I really don't know what you know, I'm going to do. And so I took a job with a guy that uh, was installing, was like a contractor, basically. And we were, it was a good, it was a, it was something that was good for me um, because we were traveling all over the country and I had a lot of time uh, alone to thank but at the same time, I was going through a lot of pain. And so I did that for about a year. And I get to my breaking point um, at about age 21. Um, I had been suffering pretty severe depression, anxiety, etc. And I was, uh, I was having suicidal thoughts. And so one day I'm in my room um, and I, I was ready to be done with my life. So I'm in, in my room about to take my life and I hear all of a sudden I hear an audible voice that wasn't like the small still voice that we think of. <laughs> it wasn't my conscience. It was an audible voice, like a voice kind of off in the distance and it all I heard was get out of the room. And so my room was in my house is kind of in the back of the house. And so I literally sprinted out of my room to the front of the house. And I thought I was just like losing my mind. I'm like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> um, but from then I noticed that I started like, searching for the truth in a way that I've never done so. Um, I could barely pass school and, and, and get good grades, but all of a sudden, like, I found myself reading like crazy. And the first book I read was The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And for about two years, from like 21 to 23, I'm reading the Bible every single day, um, hours on end, literally. I'm watching debates with atheists and Christian apologists. I'm also practicing new age though, at the same time. So I would, I, I still have my journal and I would write myself affirmations every single morning. Like uh, you are loved, you know, like you're a good person, these types of things. 
And I didn't get too deep in, into it, but I did believe there for a time that, you know, if I put out positive energy into the universe, that the universe would bring back positive circumstances. And so I'm doing this for two years. And I'm finding that no matter how hard I try to, you know, improve my life, I'm doing so in a small manner, but not really. No matter how hard I try, uh, I still... I still know that there's something deep down within me that's just off and I'm not satisfied. And even during this time, I started working for my dad and he owns a successful agency and I was making pretty, like pretty good money for a 23 year old. Um, so I had good things going for me, but during those two years, it's still I still wasn't satisfied. And I remember reading, I was reading through Romans and I remember it was like the first time sin hit me and iniquity. And it was like, it, it was like a light bulb moment. It was like, this is my problem. This is why I cannot get my life on track or even more than that. I'm not truly satisfied. It's, it's like the same, or it's the, the classic quote that Augustine says that you know, our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. I live that. Um, and so at that moment, you know, I, I just went to <laughs> the nearest like evangelical church. Um, I was, I was reading and, and watching a lot of, you know, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, et cetera. And so I went to this evangelical church and, and um, yeah, from there I, I started kind of my, or my Christian journey. And that was like my first like deep conversion moment. But at the same time, I was still struggling with a lot of sin, right? So it wasn't something that was just in a day, I was completely a, a, a new person, but I was new in the fact that I was convicted of sin. I was convicted of iniquity. And I started seeing that manifest like more and more and more in my life. And then at the same time, there was also this perfect tension of experiencing more and more and more satisfaction in Christ. And so that is initially how I became, you know, a Christian and in the reformed evangelical tradition. What drew you to that particular congregation versus, uh, you know, the Catholic Church at that time, or the, or the Orthodox Church? Was there was there maybe a friend that brought you in, or was it just you know kind of the you just heard stories about what the experience was like when you attended a, a congregation like that? What drew you into that particular congregation? Yeah, so I started going. What drew me in? I I first went to. A church that was like five minutes away from my house went there for a few weeks but didn't make any connections then i went to a church with my best friend who was living out in tennessee um and i was going i started going to his church because he had he was a pastor's kid he was rebellious etc but he had a similar story and we were kind of walking the same path simultaneously and so i just had a connection with you know him and his church and i knew people at the church um i had also like his theology was very similar to mine 
So we would chop up on, you know, uh, John MacArthur's new book and John Piper. And, and it was, you know, I have to say, like, it bore tons of fruit in my life. Um, I'm thankful that I was introduced to those guys um, instead of maybe some other, like, Protestant denominations, if you will. Um, because for me, it was a good stepping stone because I find that like in Protestantism, the intellectual side tends to be in Calvinism. And so like for me, like I was pretty much a five point Calvinist um, because, you know, they are very consistent in their <laughs> their understanding and their theology. So for me, it made sense. And then at the same time, I was experiencing kind of some anti-Catholicism um, from MacArthur and Sproul, et cetera, but it wasn't terrible. And then orthodoxy, I just wasn't, it was just foreign to me. I was, I didn't know anything about it. So. Always uh, interested to hear how people were kind of drawn into, to a certain Protestant congregations. I think it's, um, it's interesting. Cause even when I was a kid, I think one of the things that I, I mean, I, I grew up a Catholic, uh, always went to mass every Sunday, but it was um, it was in, in the the Protestant world where my faith was really challenged, and uh, these were non denominational, I, I guess what we would call Bible believing Protestants, you know, uh, Bible mm-hmm. alone. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of anti Catholic sentiment around some of these people, unfortunately. And now, as I look back, I realize it was just that's what they were told. They weren't they didn't mean it maliciously, personally towards me. Cause, but they just didn't know any better, you know, it's, and then, then you look back and say, man, I've been, you know, when you, when you're baptized in the church, you're raised in the church by good parents, you, you take all your sacraments when you're young, and then you keep going back to the sacraments as a youth and, and throughout your adulthood, you, do, you don't even realize what a grace and what a, an absolute gift that is. And something that we can give our children and our grandchildren as well, a gift that, that just literally keeps on giving until the end of our lives. And when we enter into eternity. But it was in the um, the non-denominational Protestant world that I was challenged in my faith. And I look back and I was very thankful for that because uh, it did make me peel open the Bible uh, more than just hearing the scripture and the readings on Sunday Mass. It made mm-hmm. me look into the catechism more. And when I found that the answers that I had were, were, were all there for me and all there that I could uh, give charitably back to them. And then when I'd see the looks on their face like, We've never heard a Catholic give us an answer like this before. We may not agree with it. <laughs> we may have yep. other questions, but you know, Jacob, I think for myself and, and my journey, when I was about that age, like about, you know, a high school to college age, when I started getting the, the, the urge from the Holy Spirit to say, okay, you've answered some questions now as best you can with what you have. Now you need to ask them. You need to go on the offense and just, you know, scratch them where they itch a little bit need to challenge them. It's not just a, uh, you know, a one-way street when it comes to evangelization and, and having a communication, right? And uh, that's yeah. where I really gained my confidence in my faith, where I could share it and I could ask them questions, say, hey, why do you believe that? You know, why, why, have you ever wondered why the Catholic Bible is bigger than a Protestant Bible? Like, I oh, never thought of that, right? You know, what are your thoughts on John 6 and the Eucharist? You know, and, mm. and it was uh, an interesting time for me, but it was one that was a blessing. And I always like to say too to people that are Catholic, and you probably uh, probably echo this, Jacob, and let me know if you have different thoughts, but look at them not as the enemy. 
I know sometimes there can be some harsh rhetoric and harsh words between sides, but look at them as already our brothers and sisters in Christ that are on a journey themselves. And the fulfillment is ultimately the summit and the source of our faith, which is the Eucharist. And we just want to, and I just said, let's just bring them to that. And let's keep going to John 6 and, and the beauty of the Eucharist. What makes the Catholic Church stand out is our Eucharistic Lord, right? And our sacraments. So let's keep leading them there because they do possess a lot of truth, right? Does that make sense to you, Jacob? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's a good way of saying this, but I like trying to take what they already have that's positive and <clears throat> connecting those dots in a deeper way. I remember like listening to Bishop Barron when I was a Protestant and he used to always say that Catholicism has the fullness of truth um, and the fullness of the graces. But a lot of the times Protestants exercise the graces that they do have better than Catholics. <laughs> and it, I try to like with, with Protestants, especially evangelicals that are so zealous for the faith and, and really do love Christ. Um, I try to show them, Hey, like there's, there's more to this. Like you have not even touched like <laughs> the, uh, you haven't even gotten a drop, right? There's like an ocean available. Um, and I want to show that to you, but people obviously have to be willing to listen. Um, a lot of the times people have assumptions and I've had conversations with Protestants to where they're not willing to listen. They're just, they aren't, they're not there. Maybe someday they will be, but they aren't at that point. And then others are. Um, a good kind of a good question I like to use that I actually learned from a Protestant apologist was uh, if Catholicism is the truth, would you be willing to become Catholic? Now, and then from there, you kind of their their answer kind of tells you it gives you a little bit of a hint where they're at. Um, but I found that people that have goodwill, uh, they they are ripe. Let's just say that. <laughs> They, uh, w once you take that first step, you go. <laughs> I've heard that too. That, and that's a, that's a real good question to ask. Right. And the, the one I've heard uh, from a Catholic apologist, I can't remember who it was in particular, but, uh, you know, they just said, if, if you knew that Jesus Christ truly was present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, you know, you look at it as, as bread and, and, and wine or juice or whatever, but you know, for us, it's, it's Jesus Christ, the savior of the universe under the appearance of, of bread and wine. If you, if we, if you believe that, or if you came to that belief, would you become a Catholic? And uh, yeah, you, you know exactly where people's hearts and souls are at when you ask that question, I think if you can get to that point with them. Right. So no, beautiful. And, uh, and always good to, to, to challenge because, you know, we're not on this earth for very long, Jacob, you know, life goes fast. You know, I'm even just, I was telling you offline. I mean, I've already a, a dad and married and uh you know i feel like it wasn't that long ago when i was a child but uh boy yeah life goes fast and uh, we need to be ready to, to give an account of our our faith and do it charitably and uh, but with firmness too 
with some a level of urgency that would fit the uh, the circumstances. So you're in this evangelical church now. Um, so you're you're starting to get on that long and narrow road to eternal life. You're you're jumping on that road. What was that experience like um, being involved with that congregation? So I, in my experience, so the congregation, um, it was a great church. So to kind of give you some context, uh, the church, we didn't have our own church building. We had been a church for like 15 years and we still met in the gym and the church bought like five homes and would help people get back up on their feet. Right. So they were very loving. Um, they had, I had a friend that was, uh, that went to church there. He was formerly homeless, like addicted to drugs, etc. went to prison. Um, and then came in contact with the church that I went to, um, found Christ, etc., and then went and started a prison ministry at the old prison that he went to. And we had several inmates from that prison, once they got out, got plugged into our church, and their lives were changed. And so it kind of just, <laughs> I mean, they were living the life, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, they were living out the faith. And like, for me, it, it was... Yeah, I, I couldn't thank them enough for that. Um, and then at the same time, I was experiencing growth in, in my own walk as well. Like I, I found myself not doing the things that I was doing as often anymore. And then it became to where I wasn't doing them at all. And it was, if it wouldn't have been for that church, and, and being surrounded uh, with all of those people, I can't say that I would have been able to do that. Um, so the congregation was extremely faithful to Christ, really, um, and faithful faithful to each other. I think that's why it was so hard, like, leaving. <laughs> and accountability, yeah. right? And, and a lot of <laughs> Protestant denominations do this very well, as they have that community aspect. They stay in touch with each other. And uh, as you know, now that we're, well, you and I are both in the Catholic Church, we know that accountability when it comes to confessing our sins comes through the, the sacrament of reconciliation. But also, you know, to help us out, we need to have, especially as men, we need to have accountability with other men as well. And uh, I've always uh, really admired that about uh, some of these Protestant uh, congregations is that they do stay in touch with their membership and they, uh, they help journey through life together. Don't they very well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they were, they really were all one family. Um, they weren't right. There wasn't, there wasn't a, uh, sense that, you know, you'd go to this, this church on Sunday and then you wouldn't see anybody for the whole week. It's like, no, you were with him throughout the week as well. Uh, you really did life with him. It wasn't, it wasn't fractured at all. So well, that's, uh, that's yeah, so that good. We can learn a lot from awesome. that, I think, in our churches, and especially in our parishes, as we, uh, you know, we see that we have a, a shortage of, of priests. So we just don't have a lot of priests in, in certain areas. So we have these large churches, right? These large parishes. And uh, we can be disconnected from our community very quickly if we don't get our parishioners involved in certain activities, right? Whether that's through Knights of Columbus or 
youth group or other things like that. And I think that's what's made it very challenging during this this time of this crazy virus is that we have have that disconnect, right? So, um, so you um, you're part of this this community, and uh, you 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 have a community. You have brothers and sisters that uh, in Christ that you're hanging out with. You're growing in your faith as well, and, and getting closer to God, going closer to to virtue versus vice. What kind of got things changing or, and changing your trajectory towards, you know, you're on the path towards God, but what made you think, hmm, what about the Catholic church that maybe I've, I've heard some stories about, uh, it might be anti-Catholic in nature, but what kind of started drawing you into the world of Catholicism? Yeah, it came out of nowhere. So <laughs> last year I was completely content and where I was going to church but I remember pulling up a debate between Trent Horn and James White. Uh, Trent Horn, if, if listeners aren't familiar, he's a Catholic apologist. And then James White is, is somebody that's a Reformed apologist. And the debate was on, can a Christian lose their salvation? And so, I mean, it was a long debate. It was about two hours. And I watched that debate. You know, I, again, I'm somebody that believes in perseverance of the saints, that God is going to elect a certain amount of people to heaven and right, they're going to have irresistible grace to make it to heaven, et cetera. So the question of can a Christian lose their salvation was completely off the table, right? Because that would be t- therefore taking away glory from God. Um, and so I watched this debate. The first time I watched it, I felt like the ground was shaking underneath me because I was convinced that Trent Horn won the debate. And so I watched it, (coughs) excuse me, I watched it several more times. And the more I watched it, uh, the more I became convinced. And from that point, it shook Calvinism for me. But it's not like I started looking at the Catholic faith. Um, But recently after that, I came across a website and still to this day, I don't remember how I came across it, but it was, I think the website was early Christian writings and I stumbled across like the church fathers and I'm reading some of these writings and understanding who these people were. And I'm just stunned. Um, I, you know, I'm reading Ignatius of Antioch, who's a disciple of John, and and he's talking about that <laughs> the the Eucharist is the flesh, the flesh which suffered for our sins and was raised by the Father. I mean, he's explicit. Um, I'm reading again Ignatius of Antioch again, and how he's talking about you know, like the threefold uh, structure of the church being bishop, deacon, and priest. Um, I'm reading Irenaeus when he talks about baptismal regeneration, how how he's also in Against Heresies when he starts talking about how um, that all of the faithful churches in the world must submit to Rome, um, that Rome has authority. And then he goes and lists like all of the bishops to his present day, the bishops of Rome. And 
the more and more I read the fathers, it was like, oh my gosh, this is either this is either orthodoxy or is, or this is Catholicism. This isn't Protestantism. Um, and so from that point on, I didn't look at Catholicism. I actually looked at orthodoxy first. And why? I don't really know why. I think maybe it, it could have been one of those things where orthodoxy, um, this, the issues in orthodoxy aren't as pronounced as Catholicism um, in the mainstream. And so they don't like perceived, they don't have as much baggage as Catholicism does. And so I started reading, uh, trying to think a book, uh, Timothy Callistus Ware, who was a well-known Orthodox writer, um, and then several other Orthodox books. And I'm seeing, okay, well, they have valid apostolic succession. They have the Eucharist. They believe in the real presence, although they don't call it transubstantiation, but it's still the same, really the same doctrine. Um, and they have a beautiful liturgy. That was something I was really attracted to is their liturgy. And so from that point on, I actually emailed a local Orthodox priest. Basically, hey, I just want to have a conversation with you, ask some questions. And I think this was providential, but he uh, he never got back to my email. Um, and then I started looking at Catholic claims as well. So I was looking at them both kind of simultaneously. And I read a book by uh, Joe Heschmeyer called Pope Peter. It was very instrumental in my... Um, my view of the papacy and the arguments for the papacy. And he just made the arguments straight from scripture. Um, and it, it was a phenomenal, it's a, it's a phenomenal book. It, it, if anybody hasn't read it, I'd encourage you to do so. But I read that book and along with other things, uh, reading the fathers, I was convinced that, that Rome had primacy. Um, and then from that point on, I reached out to a girl that I actually went to high school with. I didn't really know her that well, but she was the only <clears throat> she was the only Catholic that I knew. And I just asked her, hey, can you put me in touch with somebody who knows the faith? And so she put me in touch with our like associate priest. And then he put me in touch with a recent convert who was an Anglican. who had his Ph.D. Um, and became Catholic. And he actually went to an Anglican ordinate too before he moved to Kansas City. And so I, uh, I met with him. He was a professor at a college here. I met with him. I was pretty much already convinced, but I had a couple questions and he pretty much sealed the deal for me. So from that point on, this, uh, this was all middle of last year. And then that point after that, I went to the parish that I go to now and I kind of did a similar thing that Scott Hahn did after uh, reading Justin Martyr's uh, work on the liturgy and, and what it looked like. And I just kind of wanted to be a, an observer. And I thank God I went to a parish that had a great liturgy. <laughs> so I went to this liturgy after reading Justin Martyr and I was, it, my mind was just, I mean, it, it was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, I have to be Catholic. 
Like I have, I have no choice. I felt like my will was being pulled and it was, I've always told myself, no matter what the truth is, I don't care what worldview it is. I'm going after that. You know, it could be any worldview as long as it's the truth. Um, yep. Yeah. And I was, after that, I was like, okay, <laughs> that's great. I, I have to do it. So let's, let's take just a half a step back. I think this might be beneficial for our listeners too, the ones that, uh, we're all called to be witnesses of, of our faith and our, our church to others as well. The the evangelical congregation that you did belong to, rooted in Calvinism for the most part, what were their thoughts on the early church fathers? Where did they think that the church or what state was the church it was was the church in between the time of Jesus Christ and the and the resurrection to the time of I guess the sixteenth seventeenth century, the time of uh, the rise of Calvinism. Yeah, so basically we held to a view um, that the church was good um, in the book of Acts, and then nearly after, it basically fell off the rails for 1,500 years, and then Luther came back and kind of revitalized what early Christianity was, and it's very similar. I Looking back, it's very similar to... Uh, the great apostasy theory by Mormonism. The only difference is it's just a different person. And so the, the theory is the exact same. It's just a different person who comes and saves the day. So that was kind of our view um, of church history. And we never mentioned the fathers. Um, nobody, nobody talked about them. Nobody discussed them. Um, so, so it's kind of just a, so, a black hole that 1500 years, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, right. The, so interesting. Generation of Mary and praying to the saints and all of those terrible things that you know it wasn't not happening here for them. Yeah, it wasn't what the early church <laughs> believed. It. So, so. You, so you have this uh, this incredible experience at a at a, at a church at mass, um, inspired by some of your readings on the early church fathers. Um, so interesting and so uh, so cool. Uh, I think it's important for our listeners latch on to one of the early church fathers and, and it just reaffirms your faith and where we come from our forefathers they, they gave up a lot to get the church to where it is today and it's amazing uh you know we're not that far away think of the the, the history of of time you know there's the, the thousands of years that we've been around but you know a couple thousand years doesn't isn't that long really um what does your um family your evangelical family what do they think of this have you been sharing your experiences with them or has this been kind of cooped up in your for your own personal uh <laughs> meditation and thought and and figuring out where do you go next in the process yeah um so i've had conversations so for example <laughs> my conversations with people at my old church have been have been good um nobody's really been judgmental They've all received it pretty well. Um, the only tension I've had maybe would be with like my best friend. Um, we had a conversation and we still like hang out and whatnot, but we had a conversation on the Eucharist and <laughs> you know, we come from baseball backgrounds. And so we're competitive and we want to be right. And <laughs> um, that's not always the best approach. But some of the conversations we've had have been 
a little heated. Um, I had a conversation with one of the pastor's uh, wives. Actually, the pastor passed away uh, a few months ago. He's a great guy, but I had a conversation with her and she just, uh, and I just remember I went and met with her for a cup of coffee just to see how she was doing. I mean, she had just lost her husband. Who's a great man. He founded the church or was one of the founders. And so we were just, I was just trying to listen to how she was feeling, et cetera. And, um, she asked me at the end of the question or at the end of the conversation, she's like, I gotta know, (laughs) why'd you become Catholic? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I, I gave her reasons for, we, we had a conversation for about 45 minutes and I started reading to her, the church fathers, I started reading, um, you know, places that they discuss apostolic succession. And then I was, you know, I, I mentioned to her, hey, the only, you know, faith alone is, is one of the big solas of Martin Luther that were saved by faith alone. And the only place that you find in scripture that mentions faith alone is James 2.24 and it explicitly rejects it. And she had never, and she knew the Bible. I mean, she went to a Bible college. I mean, she was devout and she, she was like, so you, so you really think that the, the church that Jesus started, that was, that was, uh, passing on their oral tradition she already had a framework interesting she said she was like so you believe that the church that jesus started and where there was uh, oral tradition and written tradition that that's the catholic church and I'm like yes absolutely um and i started reading to her some some quotes by ignatius of antioch and you know where <laughs> where he talks about the threefold structure of of the church and uh, how it's the institution of God and where there is Jesus Christ, there is the Catholic church. And, and you could tell just with her that, um, yeah, it caused her to start considering it. Um, and I've had, I've had other conversations with other people that I knew or that I know at that church. And then other friends that I went to, uh, or that went to other churches that were also kind of evangelical and that went to a a local mega church here in Kansas city. And a lot of people are stunned by the arguments they hear because they've never heard them. You know, like people have these assumptions. What happens is you have these assumptions being a former Protestant, you have these assumptions as to what Catholicism is and the assumptions aren't good arguments. They're caricatures. And then all of a sudden you have the ability to just straw man these arguments, destroy the arguments, and then therefore conclude and say Catholicism is not truth. But if you're a Catholic, all you got to do is get really good at saying, oh, we don't believe that. You know, we don't worship Mary um, and, and on and on. And then you could start showing them that, hey, if, if Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, both disciples of John the Apostle, if they knew the apostles and they're they're talking about apostolic succession, they're talking about the real presence, the Catholic Church, 
this structure of the Catholic Church, how Rome holds the presidency in love, etc. If those people are saying these things and they're right after the apostles and a lot of them lived during the time or they knew them, then don't you trust them over somebody that came 1500 years later on to the scene, let alone your favorite pastor, no offense, that's come 2000 years after <laughs> it just, for me, I, I couldn't say, I couldn't say no to that. I mean, if, if we're really going after the truth, then that's, I don't know. It, it's just a hard argument to, to deal with. And even the reformers who dealt like Calvin, he would cite the fathers, but it was always, there, there wasn't always a, a whole context. He would only cite like one part of them and then leave out like other parts that were instrumental. Uh, and then sometimes you, you find Luther saying, well, the fathers are just wrong. It's like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, you, you, they're raising these incredible points here. This, they're so good, Jacob. Um, we have, I think, an issue in the church of this with pride, which is the root of every sin. Sometimes we just have a conversation with somebody and they ask us a question or they make a, uh, an argument against the church. And we don't have the humility enough to say, I don't know the answer. I'm just going to go back and find it. And yeah. I don't know if it's an issue. I mean, you're, you're so new to our church, but you have these fresh perspectives, I think, for us that we can all learn from. But is it a matter of people don't know even where to go uh, in scripture or the catechism, or they don't even know that they're, the Catholic Church's teachings are based on scripture tradition. We can find it all there. We can helps us out with the catechism too, because we can go and find it in the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's got the footnotes referring to scripture, most if not all the time. And even the early church fathers, all the lines or all the, the dots are all connected with these very clear lines. Is that mm-hmm. is that the problem with us, Jacob? Is that the issue is that we're just not evangelized and catechized enough to to give even the answer of, I don't know right now, but I'll get you the answer. Yeah. Okay. So just in my little anecdotal experience with other Catholics prior to becoming Catholic, one, they weren't living the faith. So from a Protestant perspective, we don't take somebody very seriously when they don't live the faith. Um, Another one, kind of like what you touched on, a lot of them aren't catechized well at all. They're not formed. And so, you know, when, when a Protestant comes and asks their questions and, and poses their objections, they don't know how to even begin to be able to defend it. Um, and I don't know if this is a fault of the institutional church or but Bishop Barron has talked about this, that for a long time, we've dumbed down the faith. Um, and, and let me, one second, I'm going to read you a quote that I read in a book. And, I, and this is going to illustrate what I'm trying to talk yeah, trying to yeah. say. No, go for it. Yeah. And St. Augustine, because we've already mentioned him a few times in this conversation, he says, sin darkens the intellect. You know, sin makes you stupid, basically. And if us as Catholics, if we're not living a sacramental life, if we're not going to confession regularly, not just once a year or once every five years, we got to go at least once a month or sooner if you live in mortal sin. If you have a mortal sin, just go to confession right away and receive the Eucharist worthily. 
then we're not even going to be open for those graces, right, Jacob? We're not even be open for the graces to to find out more about our faith, to learn about our faith, to defend our faith properly. Does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to <laughs> you have to be practicing the faith, right? You have to. The saints, like when you read about the saints, they have a desire to be a saint. You have to have a desire to be a saint, right? You can't you can't just passively think that you're going to become a saint. Like I remember there's a pastor that I used to listen to and he was talking about reading the Bible and knowing the Bible. And he said, well, this book doesn't just come into your brain by osmosis, right? Like you have to pour into it. <laughs> and so it's the same thing with like the sacraments and, and be informed. But so this quote um, from this book, it says, let me conclude with a serious reminder do not think that the masses of the people are incompetent to receive an intellectual message. Experience proves that simple minds may be profoundly penetrated by deep dogmatic teaching, just as they may be reached by rationalistic propaganda. Now, when we think that people are, I, and I'm not saying this is what the church is saying about people, but when we, for whatever reason, don't draw on the wellspring of the intellectual side of the, of, of the church. Um, we're going to have an issue, especially in this culture now, because there's so much information available at our fingertips and gone are the days where people just accept Christianity because somebody told me to accept it. You know, we have, we have such an innumerable amount of resources to be able to answer all the questions, because all of these questions are in some way have already been asked in the past, right? The, the, all the, the, the questions, the big questions in life and then the answers to the questions, you find, you find atheists in, in the Roman Empire, basically. And, and so it's it's not a matter of the, that secularism is a new thing. It's not really a new thing. It's just it's just manifested itself on a, on a grand scale here in, in the United States, at least. So we have we have the resources to answer the questions and provide solid answers um, to all these questions. But for whatever reason maybe in the last hundred years or so, we, we just haven't catechized people to, to be able to know those questions or, or know the answers or know where to even go. So. I think our political leaders that we have now too, Jacob, both in the United States and in Canada and other leaders too. I mean, I shouldn't say even leaders, but uh, you know, influencers, I guess, in other areas of, of society, um, how many of them are, are falling away apostate Catholics? And, uh, you know, this, this lack of, of a catechesis, the last lack of evangelization, um, this, I don't know, this tendency for certain people in our church, especially in the hierarchy, to try to reinvent the wheel when we have all the answers already and try to, uh, yeah, just come up with these different ideas and different approaches that just don't work. We're seeing the products of this. We're seeing the products of not being orthodox and, in the way we we think and being traditional and and uh, we're seeing that in society right now with who who our elected leaders are we're reaping the whirlwind of all of this right now uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't be this way it didn't have to be this way 
but it is this way now because we've drifted away from the faith of of our fathers and the 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 truth that we can see in the catechism of the catholic church and the scriptures in tradition we have all the tools that we need in our tool bag but we are just not using them are we so you know what jacob i think we've got we're going to, I'm going to have you on again with your permission. I'd love to have you on again. Cause I think we've got a lot of other topics we can chat about, but I do want to tie in at least in a nice, uh, lovely little bow for our listeners, the last leg, I guess, of your journey to the church. So, um, you have this great experience at mass. I'm guessing you, you signed up for RCIA. Um, then what happened to you? Yeah. So I signed up for RCIA in January and then, I, uh, they allowed me to come into the church at Pentecost, which is in May. And then what they asked me to stay though, for, for a whole year. So I'm still in RCIA, but I've been confirmed into the church. Um, and then, yeah, at this point, you know, I've right now, what, what's happening is I'm just having a lot of conversations with other people. Um, you know, I have a YouTube channel, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, and um, I've got about my mom is a fallen away Catholic. And uh, if we can get a situation figured out, she's going to come back into the faith. Um, and then my two little sisters who my mom had a, uh, who had with the, uh, the, her last marriage, um, they are very interested in Catholicism. And when they, uh, when they I wanted to throw this in there, when they, uh, went to my confirmation they they were so impressed with the latin <laughs> they love the latin and they're 12 and 14 years old um no, the universal language the of the church right it, it really is yeah <laughs> yeah so they're they're very interested uh i bought them a couple rosaries actually they that's what they want for christmas which it's crazy. 12 and 14 year old want rosaries. Um, so, and that's kind of in the, their, their father is, is a Calvinist and is kind of anti-Catholic. So trying to wrestle that out and trying to help them uh, make that decision for themselves, but at the same time, provide them uh, the best that Catholicism has to offer. So like one of my sisters, my younger sister, she's 12 and she watches Catholic answers. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so good. Do you see what your influence is already just on your own family? Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, uh, that's so good. Uh, so you've, you've just been in the church for not that long. We're talking about months, not years here. What does it mean to go to confession to you, to, to receive that, that absolution? You know, you live uh, a, a lot of your life, just like me and most people you live in, sin and vice and then when you come to that sacramental life and a regular confession uh, receiving the eucharist what what does that meant to you jacob yeah it's well it's meant a lot um and it for me like i it's weird because like i still have such you know obviously i'm only 29 but i still have such a long way to go Um, and something that's really been like on my, on my conscience and my heart recently and kind of a prayer is like to increase asking God to, uh, increase my like sensitivity to sin 
because that's been the number one thing that I've seen it since becoming a Catholic and, and since receiving the Eucharist is that my, my sensitivity is a lot higher now to sin. I mean, I, you know, you have the big bad sins, but I'm just talking about the little things or not little, but you know, not as egregious sins, but those venial when, sins that, that eventually yeah. if, if we let them fester and we don't address them. Um, and, and a lot of people don't realize even when we receive communion, if we receive worthily, we bring those sins to Christ, your venial sins, uh, Jesus will, will forgive them in the reception of the Eucharist. Now there is that difference between mortal and venial. So I want to make sure I draw that line, but, but I know right. exactly what you're talking about. And, uh, and Jacob, and, and if we do let those venial sins, they said faster, and we just kind of continue to, to live, you know, with them on a daily basis, they will turn into mortal sins eventually. I'm sure you're already starting to find that out. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just reminds me of, and I never had this when I was a Calvinist, but you know, it's, it's like the apostle Paul says in Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? Not with a presumption. It doesn't mean like you don't have confidence in Christ. Of course we do. But at the same time, there has to be fear and trembling because um, you're dealing with the holy God. The four last things. Something that should always be before us, I think, right, Jacob, and and uh, and, and help us in our road to to perfection and where, where God wants us to be. And he wants mm-hmm. us to be in, in relationship and union with him. So this desire to, to share your faith now, it's coming out through the Candid Catholic, your YouTube channel, uh, which is, which is great. Uh, what made you think of putting out a YouTube channel? Cause you, you're putting your story out there. It makes you vulnerable a little bit too, right? Cause you're sharing your story, which can be, it's a, it's a personal journey and it's not always easy to talk about yourself and your experiences, but, uh, what made you think of, of getting a YouTube channel up to, to spread your message and, uh, and if you, what kind of feedback you've been receiving so far? Um, I, I think I've always had an itch, right, to, even when I was a Protestant, to share the gospel, but now as a Catholic. And so this was just, I mean, with with YouTube being as large as, as it is and how many people you can touch and, uh, yeah, and reach, I thought, well, why not? Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't really... Um, like when I'm sharing my, my story, it doesn't, uh, uh, it, it, it doesn't bother me too much or I don't really, you know, if, if somebody accepts it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't, you know, I, I, I can't control what other people think. <laughs> um, so yeah, from there started the YouTube channel and then the reception, the reception has been good. Um, I, uh, I'm just trying to figure out like, the second video I had, I, it was kind of my, my uh, testimony and I made it, you know, five, six months ago and I had a little over 4,000 views, which is nothing compared to massive YouTube channels, but uh, it's been a good reception. And, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, at the beginning of it, I just kind of wanted to talk about all things Catholic, but now I'm, I'm kind of figuring out my way of, okay, like I, I want to really focus on the fathers. And so I'll just make kind of short form uh, commentary on quotes by the fathers. 
and discuss kind of the implications of that and try to tie it back into uh, where we're at right now. And, and then that's for me, that that's been enjoyable. So I think I'm just going to keep on doing it, seeing it. Oh, see where it leads me oh please do and i, I know it's uh, even with this podcast it's still relatively new i mean i've only only started doing it at the end of last year which is 2020 but uh as the time goes on god kind of shows you different paths to take different uh, approaches to take and, and different insights and and bringing uh, folks like yourself on jacob it's been such a blessing and i really appreciate you taking time for us what's called the candid catholic and it's on on youtube are you on any other platforms as well jacob or I was on Facebook, but my Facebook got hacked, and so yeah. uh, <laughs> never good. I lost, I lost my email, and uh, no longer, it's it's no longer on Facebook. Um, so right now, YouTube is the only place. Um, I'm thinking about doing Instagram and maybe TikTok, but that's going to be a little bit later on down the road when uh, I get a little bit more of a professional setup. <laughs> um, so I'm tr- still trying to figure out all of that out. But yeah, right now we're, it's just on YouTube. Well, that's great. No, and I, I love your videos a lot and I've been uh, watching quite a few here lately. So make sure we put a, uh, um, a link on our, our uh, post or our show notes here that, uh, that we can direct some traffic your way, Jacob, to what you're doing. And like I said, really appreciate, uh, having you on the podcast here and sharing your story and your message with, uh, us up here in Canada and uh, really looking forward to uh, staying in touch with you and, and seeing how things go. And uh, yeah, let's definitely stay in touch and chat again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you again. Well, thank you again to Jacob Woods for joining us and a reminder to go to his YouTube channel, where you're going to find some great content on the early church fathers and more about Jacob's journey of faith. It's called the candid Catholic and some real good content there. And also invite you to share his YouTube channel And even this particular episode that Jacob uh, has so many great insights in his journey of faith. I think it's inspiring for all people, but especially for young people. And uh, man, we need more examples in our lives and to share with others uh, that uh, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, not always easy, but through faith and reason, we can come to a greater understanding of the church and of our faith and uh, using that grace that God has for us and we have at our disposal through the church and through the sacraments and uh, boy we can make a big difference in this world so thank you again to jacob and a reminder to everyone we're on facebook and twitter i love hearing from you drop me a line anytime again the universality of our faith is so beautiful and amazing i just love hearing from people from across canada where i'm out of but also around the world europe australia and the united states wherever you're from thanks for all your great uh, notes of encouragement and uh, stay in touch with me i love hearing from you and for all people of goodwill hey we're living in the world but we are not of the world and of course for catholics how do we make a difference in this world we've got to live in a state of grace we've got to live the sacramental life and we've got to go to confession at least three times every year every advent every lent anytime you're in a state of mortal sin don't even spend a second of your life there thanks for listening to the podcast everyone god bless and we'll chat with you very soon 